Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird! It's a plane! It's... There's no need to fear. Hey everybody, welcome back to Super Black, an all-black panel podcasting experience where we talk about all things superhero, past, present, and future. From Marvel and DC to anime, there is no stone we will leave unturned as we take a deep dive into the genre of super-powered individuals and the worlds they inhabit. I am your friendly neighborhood host, Zuri Washington. I use she, her pronouns, and you can follow me on IG at Zuri with a fringe on top. That's Zuri with a Z, not Suri with an S. I'll leave it to the rest of today's super panel to introduce themselves. Take it away. Hello, hello. My name is Sheridan. My pronouns are she, her, and you can follow me on Instagram at Island Zephyr Cooks if you're interested at all in vegan food that looks delicious. Oh man, I was hoping it wasn't me next. Hello, my name is <laughs> she, her pronouns. Um, you can find me on Instagram at I am Corinne Scott, one R, two N's and an E, just currently trying to get my hair in some semblance of a look that's look. look with an l-e-w-k that's right <laughs> but don't forget to follow the podcast on ig at super black podcast or you can follow us on twitter at super podcast now that we are all assembled let's get started so today we have a very special guest um he is the editor-in-chief at life hacker and host of the award-winning podcast the upgrade his newsletter in the atlantic Humans Being searches for lessons in the most popular movies, books, TV shows, and video games. His new book, Piccolo is Black, a memoir of race, religion, and pop culture, debuts later this month and is available for pre-order. You can go to his website. Um, but please welcome Jordan Calhoun. We are so excited to have you here today. Hey, glad hey. to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, I, I, I just finished the book today. I was so busy uh, during like the month of February that when I finally like got to it, I was like, okay, we're reading this book. So I just finished it today. And it was so it was wonderful. First of all, uh, kudos to you for putting that together. Um, oh, thank so, you. Thank you. Yeah, a lot of really good. There were some really great like turns of phrase uh, in there and like just words that I was like, yes, that's, oh, yes, please, poetry, right, right, <laughs> <some words. laughs> uh, so good, um, but I, I know we're, we're recording this um, actually in the order of events that it will happen, so your book is going to come out the 26th, right, of April? 26th of yes. April, yeah, it's going to be that's, right around the corner. Right around nice. the corner, that's so exciting. This is your first, is this your first book book? in general, it is. right? Yeah, 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 it is. This is my first rodeo when it comes to publishing a book, which is a weird experience. It's like, mm -hmm. in the beginning, writing a book, you think that that is the main, like, once you're done, once I was done with the book, I thought my work was basically done. Like, I, I felt like <laughs> it was, I had climbed the mountaintop, I had gone through all of the fun and trauma of writing a memoir. <laughs> and then I, I was like 49%, not even 50% done with the journey. Like, I was 49% done. 
because the other 51% is like doing all of the marketing and all of the conversations about the book, which is fun, but it's a completely different type of thing. It's talking yeah. about the book and talking about the experience of it rather than writing the experience. So I'm in the second leg of the adventure right now and it's been fun. And we have you here today because you and Corinne know each other. Um, how, how do you guys know each other? How long have you known each other? Tell me more. I mean, our dogs we got are dog BFFs. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Lily and Nebula. <laughs> what kind of dog is Lily? Lily's a Weimariner mix. She looks like a scrawny black lab, is what she looks oh, like. Yeah. yeah. But like everyone, somebody once said that uh they were like, Who's that dog? And I was like, which one? The black dog. It looks like Batman's dog. And I was like, <laughs> Oh <laughs> yeah. Like, like Ace. <laughs> That's funny. I love that. Um, Great dog. So you're a dog dad, but you you were born in uh, Detroit. Yeah, I was raised in Detroit. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I was born randomly in Battle Creek, Michigan, uh, but then moved to Detroit okay. when I was a baby. I don't remember any of this. I just remember sure. Detroit. So uh, yeah, yeah. Grew up in Detroit and lived there. Everything that happens in the book takes place in Michigan um, up until the afterwards of the book when I go off to college. After I go off to college is when I leave well, after college, I leave Michigan, live abroad for a while, end up finding my way to New York and making New York home. But my entire childhood was in Detroit. Can you can you speak to the experience? Because I'm a, I'm a city girl, but I'm from New York City. So I've experienced New York City as a city. What was your experience in growing up in Detroit as a city? Detroit was, as I describe in the book, especially early on when I was, you know, in second, third, fourth grade, was uh, I lived in a poor neighborhood in Detroit and it's a very black city. All of my friends were black and there's a very bold dividing line between Detroit and the suburbs. Yeah. Um, I mean, popularly, you know, for anyone old enough to have watched the movie Eight Mile, the significance of Eight Mile and the reason right. it was called Eight Mile is because mm -hmm. Eight Mile is the dividing line between Detroit and the suburbs of Detroit where all the white people ran away and started to live. Mm. So I grew up in a poor black city and eventually what happens in the book what happens in my life is that i end up going to a school in the suburbs and end up being a transplant from this all-black city to this place that is largely and predominantly white and having to make that adjustment having to go from you know all of my friends sharing generally my same cultural understanding and interest to being people to being around people who don't share that same cultural understanding and those interests right. at all and having to figure out how to adapt and how much of myself do I keep and how much of myself do I you know cater to the the the, the predominant group that's around me and as a kid the challenging thing there is also is always you know, wanting to make friends and mm -hmm. that being really important to you at that age. So that's a, a lot of the early navigation in the book is me figuring out my place being a transplant from this all black city of Detroit to these suburbs and mm -hmm. in the context of religion, which I imagine we'll talk to you at some, talk about at some point. Yeah. <laughs> what I found, um, what I found interesting when I was reading the book, um, was in in my my personal experience, I went to an a mostly white school almost from the jump. So to read about your experience and the transplanting later in your life um, was kind of uh, 
I could feel the, the, the jarring nature of that uh, transition. Whereas when I was experiencing, I, I just was in school and I didn't feel the code switching that I had to do because mm -hmm. it just came more naturally. I had to do it earlier. So it, I didn't think about it until I went to college where I became the token for a lot of people. I was their first black person they'd ever seen. Wait, um, are you serious? Or, or yeah, oh. some people like or like knew uh, to a to a like a strong extent, like they you know because they, they've maybe they've seen some black people, but talking to one and like knowing engaging, one as, like, a friend, engaging, mm -hmm. and this was in Pittsburgh. Yes, which um we all which, went to the same college. Yes, we, we did. <laughs> <laughs> which which is so funny. That's why I'm sitting here nodding like yup yup yup. But um. <laughs> But uh, I I I started I I started crying when I when I when I read about your experience because I experienced that jarring nature that you describe in the book when I was like eighteen nineteen which was really hard to contend with like to understand how I was seen by these people and how to play the game as I had to play it. And so I totally felt you on your journey, but I'm not a black man. So that's a completely different experience for you than it is for me. Um, so can you speak a little bit more, um, uh, tell, to tell the audience a little bit more about your background. I know you're Seventh Day Adventist, but what does that mean for those who are not aware <laughs> of, of yeah. what that means? Yeah, first off, I'll say, I'm glad it made you cry. Uh, that sounds mean, but it's such right in this book in a lot of parts. There's a lot of trauma in this book, so I, I didn't want to carry that weight alone. I'm glad that other people had to carry it as well. I'm glad, Absolutely. I mean, joke aside, yes. aside, I am glad that it was um, hopefully validating of a lot of people's experiences. One of my favorite things about writing is when that moment as a reader, when you read something where it's like, oh, someone shared that with me that I mm -hmm. didn't realize, like, I thought I was alone in that thing. And I'm, mm -hmm. I, I'm actually not alone in that thing. Someone was able to put it into words and that makes me feel, you know, seen or validated and my experience being seen and validated. So that's, that's very, very gratifying for me to hear. So I'm, I'm sorry that you had those experiences that I had, but I'm really grateful that my experiences hopefully made you feel less alone in yours. I, like you said, was raised Seventh-day Adventist. I am not Seventh-day Adventist anymore, but I was raised Seventh-day Adventist, which is, especially in Michigan, a pretty strict denomination of Christianity where the seventh day is the Sabbath, and it is from Friday night sundown to Saturday evening sundown is the Sabbath where you, you know, you don't do secular things. You don't listen to secular music. You don't watch TV. You don't, you know play sports, you don't do things besides go to church and, you know, have dinner with your family and reflect on all the things that are good and holy um, until you close out the Sabbath Friday evening. Um, so that's how I grew up in a pretty strict Seventh-day Adventist church. And then in the beginning, it my family wasn't too strict. I mean, we went to church every Sabbath. That was just a normal thing to do. But we weren't too, too strict in terms of, you know, what you can and can't watch and like what normal things like a, a pious Seventh-day Adventist can and can't do. Like my mom, even if she wanted to be that strict, she was a working mom and my parents had divorced and she was basically, you know, raising us kids while she was while she was working and in school. So my brother and I got away with watching, you know, whatever we wanted. And 
there comes a turning point in my life where my family gets a lot more strict and yeah that there's there's <laughs> growing up a strict seventh day adventist is for anyone who grew up you know strict evangelical or strict i don't know any if basically almost any religion where there there comes a line between especially in the entertainment and the media that you consume where it's like these things are okay for kids and these things are not okay and if you grew up in a strict religious family that line is drawn uh to block out a lot of things that are very very popular so like anyone listening to this who grew up in a strict religious family knew that you know pokemon were sort of satanic mm -hmm. and like pocket monsters not a thing harry potter mm, no. no that's witchcraft <laughs> that, right so <laughs> There were a lot of things that were, you know, very, very popular, but not okay for, for kids to consume. And those happened to be the same things that I was absolutely in love with as a kid. I absolutely loved, you know, I, I was I was in love with pop culture. Pop culture was my my connection to the outside world. Mm -hmm. And I say outside world as in outside of my seventh day Adventist bubble. That was my sort of access point to the world around me and the kids around me, especially when I was in Detroit, those kids who didn't have those boundaries on what they couldn't and like could and couldn't watch. So we would connect over Power Rangers, we would connect over Pokemon, we would connect over X-Men comics and, you know, pop culture-y things. And it was that link to pop culture that helped me when I ended up transferring to a white school and going through these, you know, adventures or misadventures where my sort of love and addiction to pop culture helped contextualize the experiences that I was going through because I would link on to those characters that made me feel strong or that made me feel powerful or that made me feel seen. And I recognized a lot of my experience in the experience of token black characters and predominantly non-black tv shows and i describe this in a book there are a lot of characters right. who are coded black that like you know white people weren't really taught to see race in that way so they're not going to recognize that there are non-white characters or characters right. who are coded black or coded mm -hmm. a certain way but for anyone who grew up as uh you know uh, uh, underrepresented and underrepresented group i think we all learned to identify those characters that stood out we recognized right. you know that skeeter valentine on doug even though he was written <laughs> Like, well, we Negro. like, yeah, it's very obvious Peter <laughs> yes. is a black friend, right? Of like, course. He's a black friend. So it was seeing myself in those characters that sort of helped me feel like, oh, okay, this is this is an experience that other people go through. And there are different ways to handle yourself. You could be, you know, the the proud character like Piccolo or Martian Manhunter who, you know, has their own code of honor or sticks to their own culture, despite the predominant culture trying to always change them. Uh, you can be a character who has a, a sense of identity and who is able to navigate effectively in a space that wants them to change or doesn't accept them or looks at them differently. Yeah, I, 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 that was one of the first things that um, that drew me to the storytelling was, was the title. Like as soon as I read it, I knew exactly what you meant. I, nah, I, man, that's my favorite. The rest of the book could be trash, Zuri. I don't care. <laughs> 255 pages of pure, unadulterated garbage, and I still be like, that cover is hard. And that title, mm -hmm. that's it's perfect. Title is one of those like, if you, if you know, like, mm -hmm. it's inside, yeah, it's an inside joke for anybody who like anybody who gets it. 
And then for those people who don't get it, it's one of those things that they would like, you can explain it in two seconds. Like it's not hard to explain race coding in comics or no. in TV shows or whatever. But it is something that once you explain it to somebody and I've explained it to many a white people, once you explain it to somebody, it's one of those things where are like, oh, oh yeah, I get, like it's, it's not hard to understand. It's just that they never had to learn that skill because they were represented everywhere. Right. right. Or uh, even if, um... Uh, it's not hard to understand, but there are, of course, going to be detractors or people who say, like, well, no, there's no way, or that doesn't make any sense. Or, they're not, they're, they're not of course, there's always going to be stupid people. <laughs> but, like, for, for me, the, the character that I always say um, is 100% Black is specifically Lex Luthor from Superman. <laughs> <Animated Series. laughs> and, and I know that that's, I, I know that that's Clancy Brown in my ears mm -hmm. uh, yep. doing yep. voice acting, but I don't care. That's a Black man. And and, um, and I, um, what I love, uh, there's so many characters that you mentioned throughout the course of the book. You mentioned Goliath. I just watched Gargoyles. That was one of my pandemic rewatches. Like I watched oh, yeah. it when it first came out, of course, but I rewatched yep. it during the pandemic and I was like, this is so good. It's it so good. So it still holds oh, yeah. it, up. It, it, it holds mm -hmm. up. It aged really well. Gargoyles. Really well. It's great. Mm -hmm. Yeah out of control i really i really hope i i don't want them to do anything but i also just like want them to do something else with the property i would love mm -hmm. for something to happen i would love for keith david to just bless my ears with mm -hmm. whatever he wants mm -hmm. to do them mm -hmm. more. Mm -hmm. um, and only keith they they can't try to do that mess mm. no. no don't try to redo <laughs> that it will not work his voice is just godly so uh, good but I think, uh, yeah, there are so many people that uh, that she, or sorry, so many characters that you mentioned, and um, they run the gamut from norm normal people like Skeeter and Doug to superheroes. I would consider Goliath and the Gargoyles superheroes. Mm -hmm. um, and I was wondering, amongst all of those characters and seeking representation for yourself, who was the one you most aligned with? Huh. align with now because it might have changed <laughs> that's a good question in terms of who it would align with okay so i mean the ones who come top of mind are two that i had mentioned earlier piccolo and martian manhunter because, of course. because those were ones that not who i feel that i was as a kid but those who i aspire to be like and the reason I aspired to be like them is because they were the kinds who had their higher code of honor and who stood very, very proud in who they were, despite everyone trying to change them. That was the aspirational goal. Was I like that in, in you know, in eighth grade or ninth grade or whatever? Absolutely not. That's not, that's not who I was. Um, if I am in a predominantly space, white space now, then that's who I'd like to think that I am now. Um, but that was that was the goal there. There were different types of black coded characters. There were, you know, the, Skeeter was written just to bully Skeeter, for example. Like Skeeter was not written as a, a very strong character. He was just sort of there and, you know, they would let him rap every now and then in beatbox just to be like, yeah, by the way, he's black. Like, <laughs> he was there as window dressing, but he wasn't there as a strong, proud character. The ones that I liked the most were the ones who ended up being proud or leaders, like someone, someone like Dinobot from Beast Wars, who was just mm -hmm. like, like I'm, I'm on par with every other, with I'll, I'll, I'll fight Megatron, I'll fight Optimus, I'll fight mm -hmm. whoever, because I am the strong, 
I am the strong one here and I have the of ethics and I know who I am and I have this sense of pride no matter what the world throws at me. Those are the characters who I found to be most motivational. So I don't know what character I was when I was, you know, in ninth grade. That would uh that's 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 a tricky one to answer, but I know which characters I wanted to be. Yeah. Oh, I was gonna say that's such a huge thing. Um and for me, I grew up in predominantly white spaces, except for when I went to church. Um, mm -hmm. So it's always been, and it, that that idea of seeing yourself in these characters is so important because you feel like such an outlier in those spaces. You feel like, at least for me, when I was, because I didn't have that background of starting in a predominantly black space. I was constantly in predominantly white spaces. And mm -hmm. like I said, except for going to church and then it was like, hey, all right, we're all here. Cool. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, the, you know, just see watching things and feeling less than because you couldn't see yourself. And it just the way it ate at my own self-esteem and right. like feeling like I needed to be a certain way because, well, I'm not seeing this. And I know I didn't see those rooted characters necessarily that you know that i felt like i could identify with uh that i needed like i'm so jealous of kids now because they have so, so much, much right there's so much yeah. representation so much i more. i mean it's great watching something like craig now like there's mm -hmm. just mm -hmm. see kids being just you know happy and not being a token character yep. um not wearing yeah. a basketball jersey with a flat right top. right like, <laughs> every yeah every, every black character was vince lasalle from recess like they all mm -hmm. they all had the jersey oh, the ball and the flat top and they would just let them wrap mm -hmm. every now and then just be like in case you forgot like everybody would be the black ranger like every every now and then you got a break dance just to let them know mm -hmm. just to let them know that you are you are the urban character in the show uh, which has its own problems uh <laughs> absolutely. absolutely absolutely and those were the ones that i mean i i i oof, i didn't want to be that like i i don't there, there is a place for those characters, and that's probably a, a longer, deeper conversation about the roles those characters play in entertainment mm -hmm. and the evolution of portrayals of people of color on TV. But the character of, you know, the, the Black Ranger, Zach, like that, that is an example of the token Black that, like, a lot of us were from time to time, but none of us really want to be. Like, you, you don't want to be the one who's just thrown in for extra flavor just thrown in like go 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 break dance every now and then go beatbox for you know for a minute and 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 that's your role is to add some color to this otherwise white team i think i wrote in the book uh, about a ratio that is is pretty common when we were growing up or when i was growing up of there it would, it would be it would generally be five to one like there would be a group of, of four or five heroes and you would have one black person in the mix and the only thing that would separate them as the black person really is that they would yeah they would throw them in there to to to, to be urban every now and then and they would do something to denote that they are the person you know the black person from the city or something and that that didn't speak to me that much what what spoke to me were were the characters who were written with a lot more thoughtfulness nuance, or they were surrounded by a bunch of other characters that i also coded as black two examples being transformers beast wars where i was like 
they they all niggas. Like they all black. Like, <laughs> Rhinox with his broad nose and his deep voice. Rhinox is black. Optimus Primal is black. Like Dinobot is black. Cheetor is like they were all black as far as I was concerned. And another one was Gargoyles. I was like every, every, Yep. Everybody in Gargoyles is black. Even Hudson, like, oh yeah, you you Scottish, and when you mm-hmm. turned human, you were white. But I don't know. Once you turn back to a gargoyle, you was black. <laughs> old <laughs> black man, a wise old black man with a beard and a sword. Yep. Like you, you're basically Azim. You're you're Morgan Freeman from from Robin Hood. Like it, it was <laughs> it was cool to be able to see those shows where uh, all the characters were were coded black, and you can see them not of this is a white person, or this is a black person navigating a white space. But you would see the gargoyles, or at least I saw the gargoyles. It's like this is a family of mm-hmm. black people, like Prince mm-hmm. and you know the the Smiths on Fresh Prince, or um, Banks, okay. uh, Banks family on uh, on Fresh <laughs> Prince, or you know the Huxtables or whatever. Like gargoyles was uh, a black family. And Elisa was black, and that was great too. Like mm-hmm. all of seeing seeing them together, and not in the context of oh, this is them struggling all the time through a through you know a group of one person struggling through a group of white people. You get to see them mm-hmm. being together. Of all the examples, because you were born in what 84, 85? 85. 85. So you were born in 85 and I'm a, I'm a 91 baby um, and Sheridan, you might be like a year older than me. But, um, <laughs> but um, what I found interesting because you mentioned at some point you mentioned proud family and I think I was so, I was very lucky in both how my parents are and the, the media that they showed me, but also um, the things that were coming out just as I was recognizing a lot of this stuff. Cause Gargoyles, I didn't realize until I rewatched Gargoyles recently. I was like, oh, Elisa's black, what? <laughs> like, I, yeah, I, didn't, man. I didn't realize it. It was not something that I thought about, but now that I know it, know it in my head, as opposed to being like a five-year-old who's just like, ooh, who's that pretty lady on screen? That's all I knew <laughs> when I was mm-hmm. younger. Um, but um, I came up at just the right time to n- not feel totally underrepresented. Martian mm-hmm. Manhunter, I'm a big Batman fan. So Batman animated series, Superman animated series, et cetera, et cetera. When I saw John Jones and um, all these various, uh, and John Stewart, of course, um, mm-hmm. with Phil Lamar, um, I, I never felt like completely underrepresented, maybe on a gender level. That's mm-hmm. a whole other conversation, of course, but um, when it came to like my blackness, I never thought about it being there being a void of it. And so to to read about that very like particular time in the 80s, early 90s, where they were trying, <laughs> but like, it, it, but in what way? It was a trans- period for sure. It was a transition yeah, like- period. I don't remember yeah. when Arthur came out, but um, Brain is black. His family celebrates Kwanzaa. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. something I didn't know until I was in college. There's so many, you know, it's so much easier to code. Easier is not the word. There's a lot of characters that are coded gay. Um, and I think there's a very big difference between characters that are coded gay versus characters mm-hmm. that are coded black or of oh, color. Sure. Um, uh, because I, I, I would I would assume there's a, a group of people that would be like, well, out, they're all outcasts, so how can you tell the difference? I can tell the difference. Elsa's, right. co- Elsa's coded as gay. She's not coded as black. 
No. Right. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, alphabet in Wicked specifically is coded, is coded as, as yeah. black. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Meanwhile, a black person has never played her. I, I, I remembered in the book you talked about, um, I think it was uh, Dragon, the Bruce Lee story. Um, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. about generational curses and trauma and, uh, uh, something about the demon that would stand in your doorway, um, that you saw at night. I, I've been really intrigued by, and, and by intrigued, I mean like tepidly thinking about, because it makes me sad to think, um, about generational trauma and the, how that just weighs on you it's in your bones uh i know watchmen really delved into that um mm -hmm. that was a big part of the, the series. watchmen series um can you can you t can you talk a little bit more about what drew you to what drew you to the bruce lee story because i thought that that part of the book was really like the the crux of a lot of what you talk about when it comes to validation and value and trying to find your way yeah. through Man, absolutely. So on a surface level, something that I just love with Dragon the Bruce Lee story is that it was this weird thing that my brother and I really got into. And it felt, it always felt like no one else knew this movie existed, which obviously isn't true. But like my brother and I loved that movie and we would watch it so often and we would refer to it a ton. And it was just one of those things that just felt like ours. And it was, you know, this just cool action martial arts movie that any kid would would love. And it wasn't until later on that I understood a lot of the race challenges that were that are depicted in that movie. So I describe it in the book. You know, there's a conversation with a, a bright, a bright doe eyed Bruce Lee who's going to leave to come to America to become a Hollywood actor and he's all optimistic and there's this you know grizzled jaded guy who's with him on this ship to the U.S. basically saying like they're not going to accept you dude like you, you think you think you're going to be this big star and I understand the optimism but like do you know how you're going to be treated do you have any idea and Bruce Lee is like nah they haven't met me before and he's like yeah okay like and, and, and those type of scenes didn't stand out to me so much as a kid. Those are scenes that resonated when I had a better understanding after I had, you know, gone to a white school and had that experience of being the other and being treated a certain way. That, that, that part of the movie, the meaning of the movie shifted to me in a really significant way. And that's one reason that I love it. I had one interpretation of it as a kid and then it completely mature different understanding of it when I got to rewatch as an adult and I it was it was you know just as as entertaining and, and monumental but I got to see it in a different way the other thing though that the thing that resonated to me as a kid was that there was this sense of haunting and evil that followed from generation to generation in Bruce Lee's family it had haunted his father and his father didn't defeat it, so it was haunting him. And if Bruce Lee didn't defeat it, then it would haunt Brandon Lee, his son. It would go down generation to generation. And that tied into some of what I was learning in church at the time about iniquities and about sin and about challenges being passed down from, you know, from the from the father to the son and from the son down to their son and like through generations, if it's not addressed, if it's not overcome. 
So that was my tie-in to understand like, oh, this is what I'm learning in church, but this is being seen also in in pop culture, in this like thing that is also entertaining me. And it sort of validated what I was what I was learning at the time. And it also scared the shit out of me. Can we curse on this podcast? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Right. I, don't, yeah. I don't give a shit, so. Okay, all right, good, good. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that scared the shit out of me uh, because there was a, it was the spiritual warfare that I was raised to believe and that had always lived in my imagination, but it was personified in a literal demon that was chasing Bruce Lee throughout his life. And it was and is, I think, just a great illustration of that concept that, you know, Bruce Lee eventually had to face this demon. He had to to turn towards it and to fight it and to overcome it or else he would pass down the same insecurities and the same challenges that he was warned about. He would pass that down to his kid. Um, and I think that that's a powerful, really meaningful message that I really, really love. And in, in the book, I mean, not to spoil it for anyone who hasn't read it yet, um, but there, there, there is a, a figure in my life who I looked at as that demon, that, you know, challenging things that, that I, I, I personally would not stand up against um, until, until eventually you, you hopefully do. And yeah, this yeah. this is an all around great movie, man. Five stars, highly recommend. Five stars. <laughs> <laughs> um, what would you say? Um, you speak about uh the Bruce Lee story and how he has to overcome um his own fears um in order to battle the demon that has been chasing him. We talk on the show sometimes about what makes a superhero. And I always say, or one of my favorite superheroes, as I've mentioned, is Batman. And I always love Batman because I think he fights a battle every day with himself, as opposed to his, like his rogues gallery is there, but they're a representation of things that he possibly either doesn't like or sees in himself in some way, shape or form. So he has to fight himself every day and hope that he wins at the end of the day. What do you think makes a, a superhero um, good or bad? I think conviction and bravery to fight for whatever it is you have conviction over. I think that that's probably my my easiest go to definition of a hero or a, or a villain, I guess. Uh, uh, a hero is someone who has conviction and the bravery to fight for that conviction and that I, as a reader or a viewer or a listener, agree with and think that that's good. That is a hero for me. A villain is someone who also has conviction. Magneto has a shitload of conviction, right? Like a lot, any well-written video, like Thanos has conviction, right? Mm -hmm. Thanos has conviction and he has the bravery to go after that conviction. The thing that would make him a villain is someone looking at that and saying, oh, I disagree with his ethics on that. I disagree with what he's <laughs> going about, what he is ultimately trying to do, right? So, so <laughs> I think the same, the same thing, the thing that makes someone a character, a powerful character is that conviction and the bravery to go after what it is they feel strongly about. And the difference between a hero and a villain is, is just 
how you feel about mm -hmm. if you're if you're aligned or misaligned with their ultimate right. goals or or means to meet that goal uh what they are right because there's a lot of people who would consider who you will go toe to toe with who will say killmonger was the hero and you're like oh, okay right <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah there are there are, and, and i think that that's a mark of a well-written villain where there should 100%. be at least some discussion over whether whether they were you know oh they were they were 80 percent right but then they got 20 percent of it wrong they had you know they had these points but there were certain things about it that made them villainous or that you disagree with and that's why they were a villain because someone else the hero had a, a better vision of how to accomplish the the, the greater good that that person yeah. wanted it's it's very rare to have well the, the i think i mentioned this in the book where there are yes i did actually so there there are cartoonish villains that are just written as like mustache twisting evil right like a dr mm -hmm. robotnik or whatever you know like i just want to take over yes. the world or i just want ultimate power because i am evil and you know you, you <laughs> tackle and twist your mustache right but then there are villains who you know i think the person who i wrote this in the context of was david xanatos from gargoyles where yes. he was a villain but he was the first complex villain that mm -hmm. I recalled because he wasn't just trying to be evil or be powerful or be king or whatever. He at some point at the end was just always looking out for his family and himself like and and he would do whatever it took to take care of his family and his his priorities would change and his behaviors would change based on like I do what I have to do for this main objective that I have in my life or this main, you know, concern that I have. And I think those, those make the best villains. Those make the best antagonists are people who have uh, a background story or a goal that is majority right. It's not like they're just this evil person who wants to destroy the world. They're someone who comes from who has a background that makes them want certain things and maybe they've gone a little bit too far or maybe they're looking at it the slightly wrong way and there's some debate to be had over where whether they're a hero or a villain and i think you can go both ways as well hero there are there are plenty of people who are heroes that or considered heroes or largely seen as heroes who i'd be like nah that motherfucker's a villain like they <laughs> like that like top of mind example wanda maximoff evil like she's not yeah. a hero to me like wanda wanda is a, like dead ass a villain in the in the in the well in the comics and in the Mar marvel the marvel cinematic universe is kinder to her and has her as an avenger and tries to make her some more sympathetic and they effectively they, they do successfully make her more sympathetic to most people because i think most people look at her as uh, an avenger a hero a good guy a good person but there there's there's debate that can be had on on these characters and i think that's sure. what, what makes them fun mm -hmm. what would you say um i i know you're not uh, no longer a, a practicing seventh-day adventist but i'm sure that you remember a lot of uh what you were taught um mm -hmm. my 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 fun question is who are superheroes in the bible oh man moses top top are alive right there moses <laughs> <laughs> Most easily, man. You give me the Prince of Egypt, motherfucker. This, oh man, this dude. This dude went and gives. Like, I don't know if I had. Like, I consider myself someone with 
pretty strong sort of uh, I could I could be dogmatic on certain things. I could be pretty stubborn. I can have a really strong opinion. Could I go up against my brother? Like he went up against his brother, the brother he grew up with and loved and went through all these adventures with. And now he's like, nah, man, I was talking to a burning bush. He said, you got to let my people go. And, and, and Pharaoh, also stubborn, Pharaoh's like, nah, let my heart be hardened no matter how high the cost may go. Nah, man, that was, that's, that's a battle for the ages. That was, to me, to kid me at like, I would put Pharaoh versus Moses up there with like, Captain America in the in, in the Avengers like going up against Thanos and, and just running together to meet in the middle like that that shit is so hard to me so Moses Moses definitely goes to the top of the list um yeah Moses was hard who else can I think of heroes in the Bible um I loved anyone for better or worse I loved anyone who had their who who was basically willing to face death and be like I'll I guess I'll die for this then so um uh um uh David and the lions den like being willing to go to a pit of lions because you're like this is or Daniel and the lions den I said David uh yeah, yeah, yeah. Daniel Daniel being willing to go in the lions den to like willing to die that was hard um Shadrach Meshach and Abednego there's a story in the book about them willing to go into the furnace that's hard like anyone who's willing to be like well yes I'm getting murked today but you're not changing my mind I'm like all right I, re I, I respect you. I was thinking of um Shadrach Meshach and, Aben and Abednego because my dad always said uh Shadrach Meshach and that negro <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah man they were hard Nebuchadnezzar was like oh, man make the fire seven times out of they were like the heat of the fire, I'm, I'm going to die anyway. Like, the heat of the fire isn't gonna, <laughs> ain't bothering me. I told mm -hmm. you we're not going to kneel. We're not going to kneal. So anyone <laughs> anyone who was willing to face death for their conviction, uh, those were the characters who I loved as a kid. Those were the ones who were unflappable. Like, they were they were unshakable, and that was, uh, that was always admirable to me. Um, and oh, I, I have a, a fun thing I just thought of. So I'm going to name a superhero and then just do three. Um, try, can you try to come up with a Bible verse that you think aligns with them? <laughs> we'll, we'll see. We'll see. My, my biblical knowledge. Whew, I don't know. If it's, it's not, it's not going to be as sharp as it was when even I. Even if it's a paraphrase. Even if it's a paraphrase. I'm down. Right. I, 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 my mother's a Buddhist. I am not here to just Listen, clock you. I'll say we, we will do this as long as, as long as Sheridan is here with me. All right. Yes. As long, okay. as, as, long as you got my here. back. I'm here. All right. We, we doing this together. <laughs> I, can't, I can't be helpful in this. I know John 316. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be paraphrasing. Like, I feel like between me and Sheridan, we'll be able to come up with something. <laughs> I was gonna be paraphrase the hell out of it, but it'll nah, be Nah, yeah, it won't nah nah. It won't be King James. It'll be it'll be Queen Sheridan. I'll be your, I'll be your researcher person. I'm yeah, we'll, we'll be good. Um, we'll be good. All right. Okay. We're, we're only doing three. Okay. Um let's see. Uh let's do uh Professor X. Professor X. Mm. You know what? For Professor X, um, what he reminds me of what he reminds me of is King Solomon, who when given mm, a choice mm -hmm. of anything he could have in the world, he asked for wisdom. And I can't remember the specific Bible verse in Song of Solomon where it's described, but he could have had anything he wanted. He could have 
had riches and gold and all that stuff and eventually came but he wanted wisdom above all else and that's what that's what comes to mind when i think of i was thinking I think of wisdom too. X. yeah yep yep <laughs> I wish everyone could see what Sheridan's. I know. I'm making <laughs> She did the eye to eye. She did the goofy movie <laughs> eye to eye expression. Like, yeah, I see you. Yes. Oh, and we're gonna get into that in like two seconds. But okay, <laughs> two more. Two more. Um, uh, my next one. Let's pick an Avenger. Um, I don't want to pick one of the stereotypical ones. Oh, I know. J T'Challa. Oh. T'Challa. Hmm. Jesus. Let me think. I feel the Jesus what vibe, but I can't think of a Bible verse. Man, that's a hard one, tying in T'Challa to a Bible verse. I keep thinking of, yay, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Fear I fear no evil, for mm -hmm. thou art with me. Thy rod mm -hmm. and thy staff shall comfort they me. Comfort me. I feel like that's something that, that like, T'Chaka, his dad, would tell him in the spirit world. Exactly. Like, <laughs> they would That's be exactly communing around the tree. <laughs> they would be That's communing exactly around the was. tree. <laughs> talking about how he's, how he's with him. <laughs> mm -hmm. We can go with that. Great. Okay. <laughs> Last one. Um, let's see. I'm going to go DC with this one. Um, trying to think. I'm like not, I'm trying to think female superhero that's not Wonder Woman, but Wonder Woman's the only one that's popping in my brain right hot now. Girl. Yeah, that's Hawk Girl. That's Hawk Girl. That's yeah. what I want. Which one? Who? Who? Hawk Girl. Hawk Girl. Shire Hole. All right. So first thing that comes to mind, Hawk Girl is uh, tying in sort of literally to the flying one is uh, those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall walk and not be weary. They shall run and not faint. So mounting up with wings as eagles is, is what comes to mind. That was good. Good job, guys. I'm proud of you. Um, uh, but I, uh, before, uh, I, I would be remiss to not talk about your brother, Daryl. He's such a big part of your storytelling and of your life um yeah. and also he's just super he, you're he was so kick-ass between between daryl and carlos i was like yeah <laughs> yeah those two man yes like yes. those are right like those are ride or dies do you, you still talk to carlos these days yes yes he is one of the very few people from the school from the high school that i end up going yeah. to uh that i still keep in touch with regularly to this day like if i don't yeah. get a text message from him today i will be surprised um he he is a great friend and a great person and very very proud to have him in my life him and my brother both like basically carlos is carlos was able to take the baton from my brother when i was away from my brother so my brother was always my rock when we were going through a lot of hardships as a kid he was the older brother who you know would be able to stand up to people in a way that i wanted to but wasn't ready to at that point and it wasn't until you know i, I went to this boarding school this predominantly white boarding school and had struggles with identity and how i see myself and navigating this white space without my brother and having someone like carlos who was proud of who he is and was able to you know shed some of that towards me yeah i i really your, your relationship really uh was very moving um 
uh, Daryl and in your relationship was very moving. Um, and I'm so glad, especially given the experience that you did have in your household growing up, that you had someone that was your own private superhero. Because um, mm -hmm. that's, that's so important. That's important in any context, but especially uh, given because uh, you you are a, you're a child of divorce and of uh, a stepfather who is not great and some other things and your mother was going through a lot and so to have him there I, I I'm just I'm grateful for you that you had a Daryl and I have a couple Daryls in my life that I should call today just based <laughs> off of that so th thank yeah. you for for sharing that piece of yourself with us and with your audience and for everyone who should go get the book pre-order it today mm -hmm. um but before i uh, before i let you go before we like truly close this out i have to mention uh for those who do not know jordan calhoun wrote the article about a goofy movie being a the most underrated black nerd classic of all time and i'd be mm -hmm. stupid to not mention it because <laughs> like that article was amazing. I remember sharing it to everybody. I think, like, I, think I, read, I, I definitely read it. Like I read it every time it comes up. So probably like, <laughs> three times a month because it's so true. Right the down to Tevin thing, Campbell. Uh, <laughs> the funniest thing about that article is when I wrote it, uh, one of my best friends in the world, Omar Holman, uh, I was talking with Omar Holman that night. It was like, you know, I started writing it one evening and it was, you know, Omar was about to go to bed. It was like 11 o'clock and I was like, nah, I'm going to finish this. Nobody's going to read it and nobody's going to care, but I, I need to get these bars off. Like, I just need like, like, I was like, I'm writing this for me at this point. I'm writing this just for me. And that was, you know, and it went viral and, and spread around and, and, and validated a lot of what people thought or felt um, or, 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 or yeah, it, it, it touched a lot of people. And that ultimately, that was the first step to what became Piccolo is Black. Like that was the first step in it because one, it validated for me that a lot of people understand this concept and see it the same way that I saw it and that it was a universal thing. It wasn't like this, you know, super unique thing to me and my brother. This is something that any black person who had to navigate a non-black space had noticed and felt and non-black entertainment, you know, noticed and felt and that it would connect with them. But also it told me that if I can write something that I feel like it's just for me and the more sort of raw and honest I can be in those stories and in that storytelling, uh, the it, it's sort of counterintuitive. You, you think that it's just for you, but it becomes accessible to more people because you are typically a lot less alone than you think and the types of feelings that you have and the types of thoughts you have, it's something that is probably, you know, pretty shared and your people will find it, hopefully. And you will then feel less alone and they will feel less alone and you'll feel a little bit more uh, normal and confident in, in who you are. And so my book is, I think you would say pretty vulnerable, like pretty, pretty raw. Like I put some things out there that yeah. I, the only way that I was able to write them out was to tell myself that no one's going to read it and that it's just for me. I sort of lied to myself throughout it. Like no one's going to read this. This is, this is going to be just for me. So I could go ahead and just be honest with myself and treat it like, you know, I just need to write this out for me. And in doing that, 
hopefully the book is able to connect with uh, a lot of people through through my vulnerability. So uh, the, 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 the small thing that got that ball rolling was that goofy movie story going going completely viral and me realizing that I might feel alone in a thing, but it's probably not the case. I'm probably not alone in that thing. And if I just write it and if I trust the reader and I trust my audience and I trust, you know, like-minded people, then they'll find me. And I, I hope, I hope that the experience that comes from all of this, I hope, A, I hope this goes viral too. Yeah. Um, and B, I hope that the experience that comes from all of this continues to validate what you have learned about yourself in the writing of this book um, and that you are special and that you are valued and that your contribution does everything possible to represent 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 mm -hmm. and yeah you just like you're you're a cool dude and it's so nice to meet you i'm so mm -hmm. glad we could have you on today Thank um you. yeah can you tell everyone where they can find you on these interwebs yeah easiest place is on twitter or instagram it's the same handle at jordan j-o-r-d-a-n m as in michael calhoun c-a-l-h-o-u-n um you can also find me at jordanmcalhoun.com everything that is basically <laughs> that that you will ever want to know about me is either on Twitter or my website or Instagram or in my memoir that I hope you read. And don't forget to pre-order that memoir. It comes out April 26th, but you can pre-order it now. Go to his website, Jordan M. Calhoun. You heard it here. Um, and I would like to thank you all for listening today. Please, please, please uh, engage with us at Super Black Podcast on IG or on Twitter at Super Podcast. Let us know your thoughts on the book once you read it. Please give Jordan all the love and support that he more than deserves. Um, kudos again for everything that you put into the space today. Uh, ladies, if you could take me out. My name is Sheridan. My pronouns are she, her, and you can follow me on Instagram at Island Zephyr Cooks if you're into food that doesn't have animal products in it. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Corinne Scott. Pronouns are she, her. You can find me on Instagram at I am Corinne Scott. Corinne is spelled one R, two N's, and an E. It's usually just pictures of my dog, which is a great time. <laughs> a great and time. As, al as always, I'm Zuri Washington. She, her pronouns. You can find me on IG at Zuri with the fringe on top. And don't forget, should you need heroes, we've got your back. We fear no topic we attack. If conversation is what you lack, you'll find it here with Super Black. Bye. Hey there, this is your current day friendly neighborhood host and these are the conventions that are on the horizon. Every episode we will be highlighting upcoming cons in the hopes that some of our listeners out there will be able to attend in person or online. This week we want to give a shout out to two. First up is Edinburgh Comic Con, which is taking place from Saturday, April 16th to Sunday, April 17th in Edinburgh, Scotland at the Edinburgh International Conference Center. For more information, check out www.heroconventions.com. The second con is the Calgary Expo, which is happening in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. You can check that out next weekend from Thursday, April 21st to Sunday, April 24th. Mask up and be safe. Hope to see you there.